You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late-night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Bruce Bozzi. On the last season of Table for Two, we had some good times with some of the best guests you could possibly ask for. Table for Two is a bit different from other interview shows. We sit down at a great restaurant for a meal, and the stories start flowing. We're back for a second season. We'll be breaking bread with Colin Jost, Michael Mann, Divine Joy Randolph, just to name a few. Listen and subscribe to Table for Two on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, listen. Bleep, bloop, blop. Welcome to One Upsmanship, um, <laughs> where we're robots and we play video games from a robot's perspective. And um, it's a podcast only to be listened to by other machines and artificial life forms. <laughs> it's the show where we ups ones, and here to do that with me is my pal. I'm Michael Swaim. I'm Adam Ganser, his pal. My humanity has been utterly cast aside for this podcast. Well, Just, we yeah. can, you know, we can sit at a fireplace and and use some humanity to unhollow ourselves. <laughs> and, yeah, hey, wrong game, wrong yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we're not talking about that, you guys. Uh, you clicked the link, so you probably know. But you know, funny story, I was told once by someone that they listen to podcasts in a huge shuffle playlist, which sounds monstrous to me. So they don't know what they're going to listen to, and they do appreciate it when people say what the hell they're talking about. We're talking about Forgotten City. And yeah, we, we brought a very special guest to do that with us. Please introduce yourself, ultra special return guest. I'm a video game robot. My name is Zach Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey everybody how'd you pull that out wow. where did that come from i just wow. i just got a bunch of streaming gear from twitch and part of that is this audio mixing board that has all these built-in nice. effects and i've been really fucking with it a lot so hi that's, everybody it's me zach ryan i'm back that is the best yes and we've ever had on this podcast <laughs> absolutely I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. with a vengeance please feel free to use that soundboard until it becomes obnoxious like oh. just go full tilt on that you think that's a good idea but that obnoxious level will be met so quickly if you if yeah, you really yeah. give me carte blanche so you, everybody Free gets one screams. in this scenario yeah that's it yeah. everybody gets one um yeah but while we were talking uh right before we started taping and zach you're honestly if we're you know, putting cards on the table here. The reason that Adam and I both played this game, I didn't realize that till we made the connection just before the show, but I knew Forgotten City, 
but mm. I didn't know much about it and saw you tweet a couple tweets, actually. But the one that got me was the one that said you're in big love with Forgotten City. I don't mean to spoil your opinion of the game, but um, that's what really got me into it. And Adam, you had a similar story, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I uh, There's two games that Zach's Twitter introduced me to this year. It's this one and Death's Door. Ooh! Uh, so I don't know, man. You're two breaking for news for me. Yeah, yeah. They're both quite good games. Two, I, two real contenders, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So follow follow at Zacharias D on Twitter. I think is what it is. is That's that right? right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Because uh, he drops those tasty game recommendations, and here's one. Let's get into it. Yeah. With our first segment, which means we got to pass a checkpoint, which means um, an old man turned to bones before our very eyes. And we took advantage of that and stepped through a portal into the speed run. Mm. Mm. Now, Zach, you've done this before, uh, so I think you know the deal. But for first-time listeners, this is where we ask our guests to indulge us and sort of run through the game as quickly as possible in a way that, you know, a dummy or an eight-year-old or your average podcast listener can parse. Or someone who's never heard the game, I guess, would be the respectful way to say that. Um, So, yeah, if someone doesn't know what Forgotten City is... Give them the gist. Right now, Zach Ryan, start the clock. So the thing is, uh, before we get too deep into it, how how spoilery, spoilery do we want to get in this podcast? Because I think that Forgotten City is one of those games that you kind of, you're best served going in knowing as little as possible about it, which kind of makes talking about it difficult on a podcast, right? Um, so I, yeah. gu- I guess without getting too deep in the weeds, what the story is in the Forgotten City is you play... A character who essentially washes up on a river and has kind of forgotten, you know, previous uh, encounters, his, his his recent past, and you're sent into this cave to investigate um, a missing person, and you fall <laughs> you fall through a portal into this like ancient Roman city, and what's happening there is that uh, the city is only has a handful of citizens, and they all go about their daily lives, and the, the, the gist is no one in this city can commit a sin. It's essentially a paradise, but it's, if anyone commits a sin, um, all the citizens are turned to gold, gold statues and just dead forever. And so um, you're told by one of the leaders of the city that so, he knows for a fact that by the end of this day, someone will commit a sin and everyone in the city will die. And so it's up to you to repeatedly travel through a time loop and solve this mystery of who is going to complete the sin and figure out a way to either escape the city or save the citizens. Um, and there's all these different branching paths. And it's it's um, honestly, like I was thinking about it this morning and I think the best way that I would describe it is it's kind of a Metroidvania, except the items and upgrades that you're looking for are information, right? Like you're using your own knowledge to figure out where to go next, who to talk to, what to do, and how to solve the the myriad of issues within this small group of people. Um, Did I do it? Is that it? Did I get it right? Stop the clock. Yeah, Um, she did great. I think at the point you're asking wrap-up questions, it's definitely, you did it. Sure, okay. But I will add that you're a little reticent to spoil the quite specific ending, and we will get into the ending, so it will be spoiled eventually. Sure, yeah. So full credit for a partial speed run. I completely <laughs> think you you use tact and a plum and you're correct. Like this is a game that a lot of listeners won't have played. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
literally when you load the game up, there's a request from the developers to not spoil the ending. So I'm just doubling down and letting people know that we defy that and <laughs> we we spit in the face of those artists and we will be discussing the ending of the game explicitly. But it's heavily story driven. So if this makes you want to play it, probably stop listening to this episode and mm. come back to it later. Because um, yeah. we are going to unpack it at, in its entirety. I think, well done, Zach. I think Thank not you. knowing the story is a key part of the experience here. Well, like, like Zach said, it's information-based. Yeah. So right. if you go into a logic puzzle knowing the solution, um, it's pretty facile. So <laughs> Right, right, exactly. We will have taken that away from you. And here we go. So that means we pass another checkpoint, um, which means an old man turns to bones before our <laughs> eyes and we step through a portal. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I feel like we haven't been getting the dulcet tones of Adam Ganser on this pod enough. So, Adam, you want to take the first rant? Yeah, for sure. I do. All right, please. Uh, thank you. Player one, Adam Ganser strapping in. So, um, the, fir- the I don't know if this was said in the speedrunner. I, I don't remember you saying this, but this is a Skyrim mod. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that really perhaps even unfairly colors my opinion on this game like i think it's a remarkable achievement for a development team of like i don't know it wasn't a lot of people i think yeah it wasn't a lot of people and like it really does feel like a unique experience i i like it it's almost like the best thing about skyrim but put in a totally different context to me like i like the drama of the dialogues in skyrim more than i like the dungeon crawling personally and this is only that. The combat is mostly meaningless. There's a little bit of combat. I stumbled onto that too early, actually, and I wish I hadn't. Um, I just thought this was really fun. Uh, I it's un, it's not much more complicated than your typical like Until Dawn, or uh, you know even a Telltale game. Is those are a little more restricted, but not much. Um, and I think those games are really cool. In terms cool. of gameplay or storytelling, sorry. A little bit both, actually. I mean, Interesting. Well, I want to so, dig into that. Yeah, until... I mean, those games are more linear than this game is. This is a true detective game, um, like where you have to sort of piece clues together and stuff. So, But in terms of what you're doing, so I guess it is more gameplay. Uh, it's pretty similar to Until Dawn or Telltale games, and I like those kind of games, and I like new spins on those kinds of games. And this one's really great for that. Um, I wish there was more to it. Honestly, it's a little short. I can't get too upset with that because, mm. I mean, honestly, what is it, a $10 game? It wasn't a lot of money. Uh, I wish I could have paid more money and gotten more of this. Um, frankly, the another contender for Game of the Year, Deathloop, uh, is on a fundamental level kind of the same idea, right? Like going through a loop and then like trying to uncover pieces of the loop to like break the loop. That's the idea here. And... Uh, I don't know why this particular Skyrim mod happened to come out at the same time as that Deathloop game did, uh, but I love it because it's a really cool idea. Um, so beyond that, uh, I enjoyed how knowledgeable this development team seemed to be about ancient Rome. I thought there was some cool like cultural twists that were fun. Um, the combat piece was, I thought, a little bit stale and boring. I wish there was less of it than there is. Oh yeah, the combat is bad. Yeah. yeah. I agree mm-hmm. with that. Uh, like I as doing uh, happened, I happened to stumble on the the ending that required the golden bow and arrow, and I felt like I did about three hours of like shooting skeletons, and I was like, ah, come on, man, I don't want to do any of this. <laughs> um, so that part is not so great, but like I don't care because I like the I like the dialogue tree drama shit, and this game just pumped that in my veins. Loved it. That's the end of my rant. Yeah. 
Bloop, 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 bloop. All right. Um, generally, we do the guest sandwich. So, Zach, are you up for being player two, giving your emotional reactions and general vibe? Yeah. Um, similar to what Adam said, I, I think that that the writing in this game is so... It's so perfect, right? It's Rarely does a game make me really think about what the characters are saying and what the actual subtext is. I think video game writing is a difficult art in that, like... There's not a lot of subtextual analysis in a lot of, you know, a lot of, especially like big AAA games, but this game really, there's a lot of lines written where I thought, what are they really trying to say to me here? Which I thought was really interesting. There's also a lot of lines that are just like laugh out loud funny. Um, I think it references the modern era in a really interesting way. And, and you know, talking about this game and Deathloop, like as, as we're living in the year of the time loop, um, both in video games where there's been like four or five prominent time loop games released this year. And also just like in our everyday lives, uh, you know, I get up and I walk from my bed to my desk and I work and then I go eat dinner in the kitchen and then I go to sleep, you know, like that's mm. what life is right now. Um, I think it's just a really poignant look at, at, at what a time loop actually looks and feels like. Um, but there, you know, there's also just that 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 sense of exploration, and there's a there's a real feeling of accomplishment that kind of hits you in your lizard brain when you figure something out or you know what to do next, or um, the way that it handles solving these tasks in a repetitious way is really really smart. There's a character called Galerius, and he's the first character that you meet at the beginning of every time loop, and essentially you can just tell him what you've learned at the beginning of every day and say like Galerius I need you to go do these five tasks and you can literally run into him as he's doing these tasks around the city and see him solve these problems that you've already solved and there's something very rewarding in that so this the gameplay is like these little this trickle down kind of effect of like rewards for your own you know puzzle piecing your way through this stuff um, and also, you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll get into the endings, but a couple of the endings legitimately made me like jump, you know, out of my seat and, and just be like, wow, what, this is what they're doing with this. Like, it's, um, it's just a very cool concept for a game. And I think, uh, you know, to have been built by such a small team off of something that was just kind of a beloved Skyrim mod that they decided to make bigger and better. I think that's just a really exciting thing to get a chance to experience. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Player three ranting at you. Michael Swaim here, in case you forgot. Um, I will, <clears throat> just to differ from the tone of the previous two rants, which I completely agree with, I will mention some things that someone going into the game blind will undoubtedly notice right away that are, like, taking it to task a bit. Only insofar as, so, as we've said, it was a Skyrim mod, and my understanding is the complete gameplay existed within, just by manipulating events within Skyrim. But the leap to being its own title was uh, coming up with completely unique art assets so that this, you know, it doesn't run on the Skyrim engine and is no longer the Forgotten City is a game. That said, it still does feel like you're walking around a slightly altered uh, Skyrim type engine type place. And the thing about subtext is that it requires very good facial animation. I'm thinking of like L.A. Yeah. Noir and how yeah. notable the facial animation was at the time, specifically because they were like, look, 
you can tell if someone's lying. That's how good the facial graphics are. And this game does not approach that at all. They, the team did not have the ability to create the kind of facial animations that would allow for like subtext, um, like subtext, like everyone's rewatching The Sopranos now. So I'll say like, like a good drama, like The Sopranos will have where you're like, ah, he says that, but he actually hates his mother. Um, whereas <laughs> in this game, uh, I, th- they did something masterful, I think, but they, uh, but it's out of necessity, which is that they write dialogue that implies subtext or people talking very, like you mentioned the Galerius thing. And it's funny to me that Galerius will People, it's by film standards, it's sweaty dialogue, right? Like Galerius will say, well, I don't understand the five things you just said to me, stranger, but I'm going to do them anyway, because otherwise the game would become laborious (laughs) and unwieldy. Um, And yet at the same time, there's like very refreshingly modern moments of dialogue like uh, references to the pandemic and shit or like to cell phone or social media, uh, uh, you know, culture that I found very interesting that you don't get from other games. Um, I guess no one spoiled the endings, so I guess we'll wait till game on to actually spoil the endings. But I think the endings are completely satisfying for uh, everything that preceded. Like if you like what you're getting, the ending lives up to that. Uh, And... I also love the most of all what I love is this game actually had a moment one or two, but really one that I'm going to pull out, you know, a lot out of Um, a moment that I thought now that is just damn fine writing. Like the whole scene really made me think uh, philosophically and metaphysically beyond We talk a lot on this uh, podcast about how gaming is held to a different standard. It's changing more and more. There are games that stand up to any movie. But like even I'm playing Far Cry 6 right now because Mm -hmm. it just came out and I think a lot of us are. And it's interesting to think of like other Giancarlo Esposito roles and how tactfully this dialogue would be written and how this is one more shade on the nose because it's a video game. And we kind of accept that with video games. But... uh, this game doesn't go there. Like I could tell that they're trying to write at the top of their intelligence and it yielded some really amazing scene work for me. Basically. I think that's my rant. The combat sucked. I want to talk about that portion. I basically have here's, and it is a sign of a good game. I think, and here's how I'll end my rant. I'm very gleefully excited as if I were on the playground again, as a kid to ask you guys, like it's like a choose your own adventure book. I want to know, what endings you got in what order. I really want to know what Adam means when he says he got to the combat section too early. I'm like excited to find out. So let's find out. Uh, That's all the rants. Oh, I also wanted to plug my super good time loop video, why time loops are the new zombies, which has not gotten enough views all about the fact (laughs) (laughs) that it is the year of the time loop. It absolutely is. Yeah. Yeah, time loop's a big thing. Check that out on YouTube. Okay, that's my rant. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. 
Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. I don't understand what the big fat ones are. You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean, you do? This is a show about women. Okay, so I just reapply my lip gloss after eating a delicious lunch. We are headed back now to European political systems class at Baruch College. Woo! Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. That's it. That's actually the name of the show. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. It's like reality TV on the radio. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. And looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Bruce Bozzi. On the last season of Table for Two, we had some good times at the table enjoying lunch with some of the best guests you could possibly ask for. People like George Clooney, Julia Roberts, Scarlett Johansson, and the beautiful Sarah Jessica Parker, to name a few. Table for Two is a bit different from other interview shows. We sit down at a great restaurant for a meal, maybe a glass of rosé, and the stories start flowing. It is intimate, revealing, and often hilarious. We're back for a second season, and the guests are going to be just as incredible. We'll be breaking bread with Colin Jost, Michael Mann, Divine Joy Randolph, just to name a few. And this time around, we're going even deeper, and we'll have something new for you each week. We'll talk about the big breaks, heartbreaks, and of course, food. So I hope you'll pull up a chair and join us for the latest season. Listen and subscribe to Table for Two on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And that takes us to game on. So an old man turned to bones before our eyes and we stepped into a portal. Galerius did five or six things for us and we get to talk about whatever we want. Adam, what yeah. do you mean you ran into? Do you mean the Diana's bow portion yes. where you have to yes. shoot a million skeletons like, and turn them to gold? Yeah, yeah. And see that portion leads to one specific it ending. Uh, well, and it leads to one specific ending, uh, which is the ending I got. Uh, so I'll, so spoilers from this point on. Um, mm-hmm. So I got the ending where I rescued Centilla. <laughs> um, so and the combat, the Diana's bow combat stuff basically leads inevitably and sort of inexorably to that. Um, and to the upper aquifer. Yes, correct. And so you are, you learn a few like really fascinating facts along the way. One of them is that the statues are all former residents who are conscious. Ugh, yeah, uh, which is that's very uh, upsetting, mm-hmm. um, and you learn it through a pretty sad love story gone awry. Uh, that in its on its own would have been a great video game. You know what I mean? Like that alone would have been yeah. a really cool story for a video game, um, like a main story. So anyway, I rescued Centilla. That's where I found out that uh, somehow the the least suspicious person to me, uh, which was Sentius. Uh, Sentius mm-hmm. is the true big bad of this game. 
um, and he knows what's happening in each time loop, uh, and so he he alone is experiencing immortality, quote unquote, and no one else really is. Um, he alone also knows the golden rule is real, and no one else does. Uh, so that makes him fascinating. And again, that's another ingredient to all these time loop stories because Deathloop mm-hmm. has a character like that as well, uh, where like one person is aware of all the loops. Uh, mm-hmm. so, and like, and also Zach, you stumbled on something that I think is another ingredient to these, which is for a time loop story to get truly interesting, you have to start, like, you have to be able to build a, like an engine that means you don't have to do any of the early steps anymore. Right. And that's what Galerius basically is. Um, mm. And like Groundhog Day did the same thing. And that, like, to me, Groundhog Day is still kind of the best early time loop thing. Well, there's um, also there's also a, a payoff for that, right? So like, right, right. You, you know, like there, you can eventually get a Galerius elected to to be the the mayor. Or, uh, I forget what office he's running for on this in this city, but um, magistrate, the magistrate, yeah. Um, but only by solving the mysteries yourself and then asking Galerius to do them. But, you know, so wherein you make Galerius a hero to these people because he's the one solving these, these problems by proxy on that, that specific day, which I also thought was really smart and rewarding. So that's a perfect, I agree. That's such a perfect utility of the engine that needs to be there for convenience. You may as well make it part of the climax. That's so smart. Right. Um, Adam, just to understand the context you're working from, did you then reload and get additional? I, like, I, what I endings? Worked, I worked a little bit at it after okay. that, but then I was like, man, uh, there was another. Like, I think it was right before Deathloop came out, or some other big mm-hmm. game that I was like, well, I need to get to that because we're going to probably cover it in one upsmanship. So, like, I didn't get yeah. a lot of other endings. I was working on the plaques. Um, I it, if I figured out that you could, in theory, rescue almost the entire town. Mm-hmm. which was surprising to me. Like that didn't seem possible. Uh, but then Centella's uh, like c- that last moment where she's like, you know, I wish there were more people here. You're like, Oh shit, I can get more people here if I figure out how to do that. Uh, but I didn't cause I, you know, uh, like all people, I'm a little bit yeah, lazy. So listener at the end, you're transported back to the modern day and you read an ancient historical report of what went down. Right. So if you saved one person, so Zach, how'd you do on that? I just want to figure out what endings we're working from knowledge wise. Um, so I, I finished ending four, the canonical ending first. Mm. Um, mm hmm. Just because I was obsessed with solving as much as I could possibly figure out on in the city itself. And so, yeah, yeah I, I finished ending four, which they say at the beginning of that, at, at the end of that ending, like canon ending. Um, and then I went back and did ending one and two, and then I watched ending three on stream. So I've seen all four endings. Um, oh, interesting. I yeah. organically, without thinking about it too much, naturally went one, two, three, four. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, which was really fun. Yeah. And okay, so yeah, the endings basically will dictate what percentage of the town you're able to save. Right. And sort of the methodology by which you do that and the fate of the characters that you've come to enjoy, Mm -hmm. which was really cool. There's a segment at the end, no matter what, I believe, where you go, you're at a modern day like art gallery or a history museum, I guess, because that's where you're looking at the ancient stone tablet that says what happened. And uh, it's got all the characters you've come to know, but they're like living as... (laughs) 
<laughs> modern day people with new lives and new context, which is very fun. And I'm trying to think if there's another aspect to the fact that, oh yeah, of course there is. How could I have forgotten? So Adam, what you don't understand, oh yeah, still a, yeah, there's a big like other shoe drop twist that you didn't get, Adam. No, FYI. is it the well? First, I mean, I think we can all agree that we need to do spoilers. Did you transcend the reality and talk to a god and like go to the floating space pyramid? I did not do that. No, so that yeah, part exactly. I actually. Yeah. Oh shit! Okay. All right. So, well, so yeah, spoilers for the canonical ending here. But it's pretty but rad. It's fu- it's fucking amazing. Like I, yeah. when when I got that ending and the doors open up and it's this pyramid structure that's looking out over the earth and you're talking to the god of the underworld. It was just like I cannot believe that this is happening. Like I legitimately. Right didn't understand that this is where this game was going to go. And I couldn't be more overjoyed that this is how, you know, like a lot of people have like the thing that sold me on the game. And I think it's funny that you, you both got turned on to this game by me tweeting about it because it was actually mm-hmm. Tamor Hussein from GameSpot and blessing Adeoye from kind of funny tweeting about this game that made me want to play it. Um, mm. And the thing that got me about both of them tweeting about it is like, they were saying, how the game gives off such heavy lost vibes and as a huge lost fan i was like okay i have to play this game to figure out what they're talking about and mm. in that moment i was like oh there there it is <laughs> like this is what they were talking about like this major you know earth shattering twist like you think you're playing one game but you're actually playing something completely different and that's only in this one specific ending you know, I thought that was very yeah. cool. Yeah. I, clearly, I need to go play that ending. I read a summary gotta, of all these e- endings. Even if you okay. just watch it, like you got to yeah, check yeah, it yeah. out. Yeah. Okay, I'll do that. Yeah, without going through it incredibly beat by beat, you basically, I think no matter what ending you get, because you knew you were in the underworld, I right? knew I was in the underworld. I Yeah, I knew that Karen was, Karen, was you know, Cowron or whatever, and I knew mm-hmm. that uh, ultimately it was Hades that we were looking for. I got to ask just because maybe it was fresh in my mind because we all just played Hades, which is like a primer on mythology. Mm -hmm. But when Karen was introduced as Karen, like, you know, like a Karen who would yell about masks in a grocery store (laughs) is like um, when you meet Karen for the first time, they say you say, like, what's your life like? And they say, I feel like I'm stuck in a dead end job uh, commuting all the time. That was enough for me. I instantly was like, oh, that's Charon. It's Greek mythology. I'm in the underworld. And I felt a sinking sense of disappointment because I thought I had intuited the only twist. But good news, the game has like two other huge twists. (laughs) But um, I was wondering when you guys figured out, or like Adam, in order to finish the first ending even, you still know you're in the underworld. You know it's Hades, Actually, no, I don't think you have to learn that to... Like I don't think you have to learn that in order to finish Free the game Centilla. the first time. Yeah, you do need to go through at least one day or two of loops, so you know the golden mm. rule is real. Because like yeah. a lot of the, like the surface level dialogue with a lot of the townspeople is that the golden rule isn't real. Like <laughs> they're living under this imagined ty- like tyrannical thing, which completely makes sense. Like I'm like, oh yeah, that's exactly what they would be arguing about. But you know it's real, and then like what you're surprised to learn is. Uh, yeah, just a series of other things that come with yeah. that. And the Hades part is connected to the four plaques, which I started to do and then uh, was distracted by some other game. I don't remember which one. Well, 
ultimately, and this leads nicely into the thing I wanted to talk about, which is the philosophical underpinnings, because it's also a game that it it does the thing you're supposed to do, which is that it has multiple twists, but they don't come out of nowhere. They make sense in right. retrospect. And the entire thing structurally is a metaphor for something that is genuinely interesting to discuss and ponder, which is what is right and wrong, what is morality. And on a, it works at every level. On a surface level, it's what the characters are pondering mm. because it determines whether they're going to die or not. But on a deeper level, what I'm getting at is, I, did you guys find the caverns beneath the city and mm-hmm. talk to the the old man philosopher? Mm-hmm. Did the, I, Adam, I, I did that happen for so. you? I believe so. I believe I did find him. Where he asks about the nature of morality and you have to decide whether I said what I personally believe, which is that it's a matter of custom, like it depends on. But he sort of guides you through a Socratic questioning that ends at like, what is morality and what is sin? Which is a genuinely like, that is something that humans vibrantly need to discuss and know and come to a conclusion about, uh, even if that conclusion is subjective and personal. So I just think it was so interesting that that game gave me that to think about. It had a real philosophical conundrum wrapped up in it and presented very artfully that applied, it wasn't just out of nowhere, it applied to like the exercise, it was what we were doing. And so uh, if I can interject, I'm really glad you brought that specific conversation up because that was a real turning point for me in the game where I realized that I was playing this game differently than I play every other game. And that's when I play most video games, especially any with dialogue options, I'm role playing, right? Like I typically choose an answer that I think best fits what this character would say in that scenario. And it was this conversation where we were talking about morality, where I realized like, Oh, I'm choosing the the answers that I feel like the way that I think about my actual real life is the way that I'm answering mm-hmm. questions in this game. And that was something that was honestly like pretty impactful for me while playing. It was like, oh, I, I realize now that I haven't been role playing in this game. I've just been playing this game as myself and answering a lot of these deeper philosophical questions like really honestly, which was very weird to have a conversation with essentially a bunch of robots about. But yeah. Yeah, but it's also partly a personality or test or or like a a survey that allows you to get it your own. It's almost talking therapy kind of mixed yeah. with a game, which is amazing. And what really supports it for me is just the fact that uh there's this ending, Adam, may I spoil the four plaques? <laughs> I mean, I read all the endings. So yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So you know when you get the four plaques, this thing opens up and you go through historically accurate like Sumerian cuneiform underworld and then uh, Egyptian underworld and then Roman or Greek underworld and then Roman underworld. And it is physically manifesting like the theme that you've been discussing, which is that the underworld and punishment and sin are shared concepts throughout all of these cultures. And there's something core to the human experience about the idea of sin and punishment and it transcends culture and it exists, you know, like we all have an underworld and then you meet Hades. That's just really <laughs> trippy. Uh, and you like trick Hades with another time loop, which is, I got to say this one misstep is that it's basically the same ending as Dr. Strange. Uh, is how you yeah, get, is how you true. defeat. I hadn't yeah. considered that, but you're right. Yeah. But, uh, but it's great all along. And I just, I just wanted to highlight how it's all, all ties together so beautifully. Mm-hmm. Like it's so supported and every, every level's thought about 
even as I then say, it did bug me how, I don't know, the graphics could be better. <laughs> I thought they were, I thought they Which were. I bring up because we talk about how it's a small dev team, but uh, I don't know, Return of Obra Dinn's one guy and it looks beautiful. I think this is pretty good for what they're working. I mean, like, I, I'm not the guy who defends things on like, look, if it's small, it's still competing with it, you know. Like, but I, I, I didn't find these graphics offensive at all. Like, it looks better than Skyrim. Uh, I found it slightly gratingly okay. flat. I mean, I thought it was only grating when you had to do the shooting mechanics because those felt and looked bad. Uh, so much so that I don't need to even go into it more. I don't mean grating, but like you didn't think the facial acting felt. It was oh, flat, well, no, because given it's, that it's, it's all it's you not do. motion capture. Yeah, you know I mean? and I yeah. think I think like approaching the game, understanding, thinking about it with the caveat that like, hey, this is built on what Skyrim came out in 2011. Like a decade old tech, like I, you know, it looks the lighting effects are really nice, the textures are really nice. Like I, uh, multiple times, kind of stopped, and the game has a photo mode that mode that's really easily accessible. I took a bunch of photos on my Xbox. Like, yeah, I, I, that you didn't did. bother me at that's all. I thought, I, I thought the artistic direction was really nice. Maybe the technical prowess was a little I loaded bit lacking. Up, I love photo modes generally. Mm-hmm. I use photo mode robustly, and I would load it up and like set up a shot and set up the filters and be like. I wouldn't even pull the trigger because I'd be like, ah, it's yeah, no Ghost of Tsushima. Yeah. You know well, I mean? sure. <laughs> of course it's not Ghost of Tsushima. Like, I mean, like, it's not, there's nothing cinematic about this place in that it's not built to impress you like that. Like, Ghost of Tsushima is conceived no. so that, like, you'll turn a corner and see this landscape or the wind yeah. will pick up and direct your eye to, like, these planned moments of beauty, right? I mean, that's what makes it so right. great. This is uh, an older video game. I mean, but if any of you f- have recently played like the Mass Effect remasters, it looks like mm-hmm. that. It's that's it's what about I was the same. Compare it to, yeah. and those were famously like, oh, the remasters. I see. I yeah. would compare it more to Andromeda, which had famously bad facial animations, uh, but bad for the or time. famously stiff. Bad for the time. Stiff. Yes. Uh, and we're in the time. It is 2021. I'm just okay. saying. On this show, we generally ignore. Like, oh, but it's a small team or, oh, you know, we take the historical perspective. Like if I were an alien looking at this game and I see that it came out in 2021, I compare it to other games that came out that year. I'd be like, the graphics are but, bad. But wait, That's fine. So, it's still a good game. Well, wait, let me let me challenge you just a little bit on this. Because, no, we don't. We, like, we make contextual allowances for things, such as when we play a game like Hollow Knight, I'm like, that's not a fucking bug. It doesn't look like a fucking bug. You know what I mean? Like, I understand it's a cartoon, it's animated, and also it's conceived within that context. Well, you're talking about but, styles. But I'm talking about... But this about... fits into that. This no, fit, it doesn't, because does. this is not a... I think it does. Clunky, flat facial animation is not a style. It's a budgetary I, reality. I if think it is a style. If they could afford mocap, they would have done mocap. For sure. I mean, of course. So, like, yeah, the resources determine what kind of style. I do think this is a style of game. Like I think that this, uh, this sort of Skyrim. Zach, I'm sorry, thing, you have to see this. No, sorry. no, I, I, I think that this is intentionally drawing on because they have the resource limitations, drawing on a specific era and style of video game that were never realistic in the way that you're talking about. Like that's my opinion, but I, like so I think, and also they would never try to make a realistic game with six people. So like this is one of those rare times where normally I'm on your side, where it's like, look, you know, you don't get an allowance because you have a small yeah, I team. I feel like I'm being the Adam. This is usually <laughs> your stance. <laughs> it is, but like I believe these guys were going for a targeted, stylistic version of how to do this game, which is like it. The characters don't look realistic. They almost look like sort of, 
uh, like the animated faces on that, like Guess Who or something. Like they're a little cartoonish mm-hmm. like that. Uh, and I think they did that on purpose and that was their best concession to their resources and I think it works. You know, uh, maybe maybe it's the scrappy director in me that has to make things for less money and I'm like, look, you got to make it look good for what you can do, which is what they did. Well, you just very, I'm honestly thrilled that you're so positive about a game that is essentially, or a lo- in a lot of ways, it's a Fallout game without It's combat. It's Fallout without the stupid you know, shit. It's Fallout without <laughs> like running around with a gun that it basically whittles down the health bar. Right. Uh, they or, do, I yeah. mean, they do actually let you choose if you want to have a gun when you go into the city, which I yeah, think yeah. is very right. funny. But, it is funny. Yeah. I, and I was like, fuck no, I don't want weapons. Uh, why, would I, why would I want to do that? You know? I'm just excited that Adam likes what we he has in the past called a spreadsheet game, which I de- I do think this is. You know, yeah. you could render this game as a spreadsheet. You could. Yeah, that's think, a good. Yeah. I think that we. The difference though is that like it's not just in Fallout. You're sort of like arranging alliances and stuff and finding out. Ooh, here's the cool s- to find the end, and you want. Yeah, here's the cool sneaky yeah. thing that uh, you can find out about these people, and it's basically like you know. If you have the right amount of stats in this category, it opens up this option. This game makes you earn insight into situations. And therefore, <laughs> when you get emotional components or like new narrative components, it's not because you level up the right stat. So it doesn't feel as mechanical as Fallout does. Um, but you're right that it's otherwise it is basically the same kind of thing. And uh, so I guess my heart has op- has grown two sizes and not three. <laughs> not, and yeah. not three. Yeah. Just two. Feeling-wise, it I will say the last time I felt that same feeling around a twist in a game, it was like, meaning when I got to speak to Hades, it felt like in Portal 1 when I realized that I was going to go backstage, so to speak. Like, mm-hmm. when I realized, oh, the system's breaking down. The wall has a crack in it. I was like, wait, this is where they're going with this? I get, so there's the game and the rooms and the broken behind-the-scenes shit. Uh it really felt like that. Like you got an extra layer you didn't think you were going to get, which is ironic because it's a short ass game. Yeah. I honestly could have gone longer. There's a lot, there's a lot packed into this game's five ish yeah. hours for sure. Yeah. Hades kind of, I think it's actually, see, I played it for five hours and only got the one ending. So maybe I was slow on things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hades kind of looks like he's something out of uh, uh, Stargate. Like I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking at the pictures. I'm like, Oh, so he's a little yeah. bit Stargate God. Yeah, uh, okay. that's exactly. Yeah, that's Great. kind of exactly the vibe that I got as well. So, like, Great. oh, okay. Yeah. See, I think these writers were smart in like how they chose to deploy a modern pop culture sensibility into antiquity and still kind of keep the the point of view of antiquity alive. So, like for instance, mm. you said, Mike, you were interested in the morality and philosophy conversations. Yeah, that's one of the reasons you would go back to Rome as a place. Because that's a time where people were able to have philosophical conversations without the encumbrance of uh, modern epistemology. So you can have these like mm-hmm. more direct conversations without worrying about what is real or how do I know that things are real. The way that we do now, it makes it much harder to make progress on those conversations. Where we go like, well, what if I'm just a brain in the matrix right. experiencing stimuli? Correct. And you're like, I, well, that's not what I'm trying to talk about. Right. Let's say it's real. Yeah, let's stipulate yeah, that. Let's start from let, there. Let's stipulate that we can have a meaningful conversation at all, right? Like you have to mm-hmm. do all these caveats to have a philosophy conversation now, which is tedious. But not, in, not when you go back to ancient Rome, right? Which is why we kind of romanticize that time for like Socrates and even Christianity, right? As these like sort of moral dialogues. Uh, 
Uh, and I think it's cool that they went and did all that. Yeah, I was going to say they mm. also do that within the game where they talk about how each of these civilizations stole from and built off the civilization that came before it, right? Like, I think that that's a really interesting dialogue mm -hmm. that the game is having with itself. Absolutely. Yeah. Which leads to, it's also very rewarding if you were a nerd in school or retain like your basic history information because <laughs> I can't think of another game where I was excitedly thinking, oh, it's going to be cuneiform. I bet the fourth plaque is cuneiform. And then I found it and I was like, fuck yeah, Sumerian. I knew it. I like, I don't know. It gave me the same rush as defeating a boss in a Dark Souls game, but for a very different reason. Yeah, I, I, I can totally, I can totally get that. Like that, that feeling of accomplishment, that sense of like a deep exhale of like, ha, oh, I did it. Yeah. Happened to me so many times throughout the course of this game just by picking the right dialogue options, you know, like just mm -hmm. by finding the thing that I was looking for to save this person from jumping to their death or whatever, you know, like I, yeah, I yeah. absolutely agree with you in that. Oh, opius. Yeah. And, the uh, getting the very first one, getting that lady to not get crushed to death was so yeah, sad. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Finally figure it yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. That goddamn rickety. I thought you'd end up fixing that thing, but Me no, too. it's doomed no, to fall. No, but then you, yeah. you use it, yeah, yeah, for a exactly. better it's murder. Uh, a be yeah, a different kind <laughs> of murder. Yeah. yeah. How speaking of murders, how good is uh, Sentius ragdolling, burning alive? It's wonderful. Every time, it really is yeah. wonderful. Every time. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. 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 Very satisfying. I, what's funny is the game. All, so this is another great storytelling thing. If you play the game in. I guess a, like a not super focused way. You're pretty likely to end your first day at the the quorum where they're all voting to remove this guy from office. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. that's pretty. You know, I think a lot of people that's where their first day ends, and you really feel bad for the guy at the end of that. You know, you're like, man, like these people are. I mean, you can understand why, but they like they have all decided like fuck this guy, and he comes off pretty reasonably. And then later on in the game, when you know enough, you're like, oh. Yeah, he was evil. I see. Like, gotta depose that yeah, guy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, especially because he's saying the thing that you know is true, right, exactly. which is the golden rule is true, and you're like, vote for him, vote for him. Yeah, Maliolus is bribing people. It's smart. Well, and what that's what I like is it legitimately stirs up. It also reminded me of a good episode of The Next Generation, where like <laughs> it picks or an Asimov short story for that matter. It picks a set of rules, in this case, ethical rules, and then it immediately throws exceptions at you that make you go, "Oh yeah, is the premise even right?" Right. Because you'll meet someone who's been poisoned or someone who's enslaved, and you're like, "Doesn't that break the golden rule? I don't understand what's going on here." Yeah, it keeps and, you on uh, your toes in that way, right? Like you're constantly having to think about what is morality how does morality work here like yeah yes how do i think about these things uh in terms of their morality on a morality scale versus what is hap actually happening in this game i think it, it it's it's constantly in the back of your mind as you're talking to these characters of like hey th these people are doing shady shit is this not considered a sin here like uh, yeah yeah especially striking when you compare to the fact that morality mechanics in games such as they it's are so are usually just yep. a black and white scale of dark side light side points and they're um, and they're predictable this was like what if the game was concerned about morality in a modern like sophisticated context right well or, or at the very least if it removed your presumption about what the morality will be 
Like, I don't know how sophisticated mm-hmm. the morality gets, but I will say that every other game I can think of that has a morality scale never teaches you the morality scale. It mm. assumes you it know it. It doesn't fractal into, like, complex, complex issues of morality. It's more like little tricks. Like, right. it throws right. monkey wrenches in the, like, what if someone poisoned themselves? Is that a but sin? It, but it's know? a no. Well, it's like that. I, think that, I think that the... the <laughs> thing that works about the morality scale in this game is that it 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 isn't points based or it isn't you know necessarily decision based it's really a reflection of your own personal sense of morality yeah right like mm-hmm. the morality scale isn't so much in the game as it is within you thinking about things that are happening within the context of the rules set out by the game so like you're you're redefining what the morality scale is according to your own beliefs throughout the course of your playthrough, which is really, really interesting. 100%, because again, most games will not teach you what morality is. They (laughs) assume you already know. Hey, if you shoot that townsperson instead of taking her back to town because she's sick or whatever, that's a bad guy thing to do. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, like, and almost every other game that has a morality system at all, it, like it assumes you know. Well, and the ultimate is it always says you, if you murder that person by shooting them in the face, but they're bad, it's good that you did that, which is a pretty reductive way to look at life. Absolutely. You know? mm-hmm. Absolutely. And yet the essence of so many great video games. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, Red Dead 2, right? We waxed on and off yeah. about uh, how how lyrical and sort of how deep the change is on the character and stuff. And yet, it gives you a red hat if you did bad and a white if you did good, right? Every mm-hmm. time. Every time. So, yeah. Right. So, is it too personal to ask what your own moral... <laughs> where'd you land on morality? <laughs> <laughs> this kid- I landed on uh, the... It's a product of... It exists in flux and it's a custom of the culture that you're raised in. Yeah, that's that's where I landed as well. Uh, no, I did not land there. Uh, but this game did not change my opinion about morality. No, I don't expect it okay. did, but I think that's fascinating yeah. that uh, three men of good conscience can have different designations of what morality is. Because you probably, do you believe in an objective morality, Adam? <sighs> uh, yes. But I also believe that... Yes, but with this tone of voice? Yeah, <laughs> yes, but I believe that there are uh, subjective applications of morality. Like, for instance... What's a good scenario that would explain that? Uh, for instance, let's say that uh, eating a certain kind of diet is good or bad, right? Like, let's say being mm-hmm. vegetarian is a good thing, right? But then somebody has an emotional hang up about why they need to only eat vegan versus like, you know, somebody who's a pescatarian, right? These kinds of like moral gradations, all of them are right. right if they follow their conscience, in my opinion, you know what I mean? Like that, that's how a lot of morality works out. All of them are right. If they are following a conscience, there's many valid ways yeah. to be right. Yes. The, the moral, and many valid ways to be wrong. right. The moral yeah. decision is actually the internal piece of it. The outworking piece mm. is not, as much a moral thing. And that's why, like, I don't get as upset as some other people do about, like, ab- abstractions on morality. Like, well, if you eat this meat, you're actually, you know, supporting this billionaire behind the scenes doing this and that. Because it's like, that takes the ability for me to make moral choices away, you know? Uh, and so, therefore, mm-hmm. I don't use that as my calculus for how I decide if something's moral or not. Does that help you? But there is a calculus. That's what's fascinating yeah, to me. Because to be. there's so many... 
it's hard for me to understand objective morality when you're like, right, everything is so gradations. Like, mm-hmm. could you kill someone? No. Can you kill someone if they're in the middle of killing someone else? Yes. Maybe. Right. Yes, you <laughs> can. Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah. of course you can, because you're saving a life, right? Like, And then there's so many different, well, what if that person killed their whole family and they're just getting revenge or whatever. (laughs) You can go back and back and back and complicate and complicate it. Of course you can. Um, Which is fascinating. I mean, like, but again, any kind of objective morality is grounded in in an objective uh, metaphysics, right? Like, Mm -hmm. so if there is no objective metaphysics, uh, there's no such thing as an objective morality, right? Like that's a basic philosophy. And so somebody who's philosophically inclined to be like, well, how can you know there's such a thing as an objective metaphysics? And that, my friend, is a totally different podcast uh, than this one, right? But like, right on whether you have faith in the ability to even come to conclusions, correct. or you exist in exactly. a limbo correct. of unknowingness, correct. which is, I mostly exist in a limbo of unknowingness. Oh, usually. big same, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but. That's what's so fascinating to me is that game, this game actually leads to questions like that, which is very it does. mega. It does. Um, but did it change yeah, your think, mind? I think it's an achievement. Like, I think yeah. it's, it's an achievement that, that it elicits this kind of conversation. Like, there's just not a lot of games that have the prowess to do that. And um, yeah, I think it's definitely a, a major feather in this game's cat, cap that it, it makes the player think about themselves about the world around them about the way that they think about things in a way that feels in a story that is deeply rooted in like fantasy and science fiction and mythology and you know like that that's it's really smart it really works but those elements don't uh, get in the way of they don't get in the way of what is the most interesting thing in stories which is like exploring what what i what would i do or like (laughs) Yeah, like what matters, what doesn't matter to me, right? Like what's the right, like what's right, what's wrong? Like those are the things that are interesting in stories. Mm-hmm. And you know? the vital thing of the medium of video games, as Zach alluded to, is that this game really leans into what would I do? Right. It is, it's not very, like Far Cry 6 is very, um, I'm not Danny, because I don't indiscriminately murder everyone I meet, but I, I'm pretending to be Danny, right? This is not, this is like, it really does feel like a choose-your-own-adventure book where it's like, you are thrust into this situation. What would you do? So when they ask interesting questions like, do you believe in an objective morality? You'll set the controller down and go like, who? Oh, do I? <laughs> it's a real moment. Like, it, you, I really had some of those moments with this game, which is amazing because uh, it is also condensed into a very short time frame. That's true. Which was great for this show because, damn, so, like Death Store... To cover that, <laughs> various games take different lengths of time, I guess is what I'm getting at, which is not an amazing this, point. But this game, um, if you want to pick up Forgotten City, it is manageable, even sure. with a busy adult life. But like this, yeah. this game, the thing that makes you like this game is apparent from minute one. And, mm. you, ha- and like you have a rich experience of it through however long you play it. Like that's, mm. that's what's so good is like, I think some games that are like cool or indie games like there's kind of a building up to this is the really good part that we're all excited about. This game is is 100% focused on what is good, uh, what it's good at the whole time, which I loved. I love that. Yeah, and it doesn't waste well, a lot of time. Like you get into the conce- you understand the conceit conceit of this game within the first 15 minutes. You know, like it it's not there's no belabored or drawn out sort of introduction sequence where 
you have to learn about all these other things and whatever. Like you're, you wake up with Karen, she sends you into a, 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 a cave, you find a portal and then boom, like you're in the story. It's happening around you right then and there. Like there's not a lot of fat and around the beginning, which mm -hmm. I think helps, helps a player get ingratiated into the, the time loop, into the story so much, so much easier, so much more organically. But do we all agree I would legitimately skip the combat section? Yes, There's one combat like section, it. and it says, you're about to do a combat section. Do you want to skip it? And I never skip stuff because I like completing games and seeing all the assets. But uh, I could have easily skipped it. It was very I, I should I should say that, that that combat section, the whole like sneaking into the... Uh, what is it? Church? Yeah, the palace. Like of, the palace yeah, yeah. Yeah. Some, um, the, some temple. Um and you're like shooting zombie skeletons with your golden bow and arrow. And then you're solving mm -hmm. this like zombie murder situation. And there's like a pair of, you know, ill-fated lovers happening. I was like unforgivably stoned while I was playing that whole section. <laughs> and I was just Damn. like, what the fuck is, what is happening in this game? Yeah. Like I, I sat down to play the next chunk of the game and it just so happened to be that. And I just so happened to be stoned. And I was like, did I load the wrong? What the fuck is happening here? <laughs> like yeah. it was, it's so it's so tonally and mechanically different from the rest of the game. It was just like this is a. I mean, it was a trip, it's, right? Like it, was, it was a trip. It, so like it reminded me of a of a poor attempt at one of my favorite levels in a video game, which is the art level in Bioshock One. Uh, <laughs> like it had kind of over like overtones of that and sort of not exactly the same plot, but similar plot elements. No, but the mad artist trying to make the perfect yes. lover by conflicting horrible pain. Yes. Right. And it was cool in that regard, but it was a chore uh, to do. I, I agree on that. Uh, do you mind if I bring up one other thing, Mike, that's a little bit more philosophical? Do you? Uh, I don't want to. No. Okay. So I think this game is a, if we're going to talk about morals, uh, is one of the best arguments I've seen in a very long time for the moral importance of public domain. Uh, so for those of oh. you who don't know what public domain is, public domain is like, so when we have like IPs or copywritten uh, like stories or characters or whatever, um, after a certain period of time, at least in the United States, I'm not familiar with everybody, every government's version of this. After a certain period of time, those assets become part of what's called public domain, which means that anybody can use it in a piece of art. This is why we keep getting stories based on Robin Hood or King Arthur because the writers don't have to pay anybody to get the rights to that story. It's in the public domain. So this mod being developed because Skyrim basically lets people use their code, right, is an argument for why the public domain matters. Because look at this cool other thing that got made because some people dedicated some time and art and craft and like their own moral consciousness into this really cool experience. Right? This is why I get upset about things like the Marvel Universe or Disney or things like those kind of companies that are trying to change those laws. Because like I mm -hmm. want Rambo Mickey. You know what I mean? Like like Well, they're trying hard to not let Mickey fall into public. Right, and that's the beginning, right? Now, right? Yeah. That's the beginning. And eventually it's yeah. gonna be like, no, they're just gonna keep acquiring and then only well, they will own IPs. And, and that's a problem. What's interesting is they're actually opting out of being part of our collection like our cultural heritage forever. You know what <laughs> yes. I mean? In some way they're saying it's like Bill Watterson. Like I firmly believe Calvin and Hobbes will be forgotten, despite it being one of the best pieces of art of the time that it existed within, because Bill Watterson jealously keeps it from 
because he doesn't want it to be compromised, which is fine. That's a fine, laudable goal. The consequence is just... I think kids today don't know Calvin and Hobbes and we'll forget Calvin and Hobbes. Calvin and Hobbes is not destined to be a Robin Hood. And that's because you are like you're not allowing the IP to go out and thrive and flourish. So I do think there's something like James Bond probably will be remembered as a historical figure because uh, I think it will eventually fall into or, you know, it's been in books and film and video games <laughs> and comics, and it will eventually fall into public domain. And in hundreds of years, we'll probably still make James Bond movies as if he's some mythic historical figure. And that's what's you're absolutely right. Like they got to do that with the whole Greek pantheon, which at one point were are were like the legitimate gods of a people. Well, and know? also like <laughs> if it, you go back it, far if enough, the, if those gods had had the cultural relevance in this culture that they had in ancient Greece or Rome or whatever, right. then like you wouldn't be able to right. uh, make this kind of riffs on those gods. Like there'd only be the one, you know, general interpretation that's allowed. Uh, and you know, well, there's always the loophole we call fair use, which gives you those stickers of Calvin peeing on stuff. <laughs> well, I mean, we can make fun of it all we want. We've made our entire livelihood on fair use, my friend. <laughs> like, yeah, so, exactly. So, like, even even referencing this game is considered part of fair use. So we're lucky, lucky mm-hmm. in that regard. But like, I still, and I mean this, I want someone to be able to create a, a really interesting, fun take on Mickey Mouse. You know, like that should exist. Yeah, no, everyone should get to make. Whatever you don't think you don't think that Epic Mickey does that. <laughs> I think. Listen, I don't want to limit my the the reaches of my brain to what Mickey can be. You know, right. like Mickey can be so much more than I can imagine. You you raise a really interesting point within the context of the, this game and its development that I honestly hadn't considered. So thank you for thank you for bringing that up. Like yeah. that's that's a really smart point. Yeah, man. Uh, well, IP and public and like copyright laws. A thing that's not super sexy, but like when you get into making stuff, you have to start really <laughs> knowing it because, <laughs> like, right? Uh, you know, not only to monetize, but also because, like, look, you know, don't you? Do you want the same fucking movies and games? Do you want Grand Theft Auto? 40? Well, and inevitably, as the as the tools get more and more manageable, cheaper, simpler to use in any medium over like the historical time frame, you get more and more people weighing in and and taking and swapping around right like i feel like we're seeing that with tv and film where so much media is now created by people that we would consider like they wouldn't be able to get through the gatekeepers 50 years 80 years ago but now it's anyone can make a movie anyone can make a show anyone can put something up on youtube maybe it'll be a hit uh video games are much more sophisticated and complicated to make technologically but nevertheless, inevitably, there does have to come a time, and I do think we're seeing it with stuff like Dreams and the Unity engine, where uh, your quote-unquote average schmo off the street can make just as good a game, mm-hmm. especially if they inherit a library of assets from a bigger team that already made a massive game. Um, I bet this happens more and more. And I'd, love to, cool. I'd love for that to be the case. It, Funky no. little games. It yeah. could be. I mean, like... It, I, I think in like a hundred years, no question, right? Like that—that's—that's right. that's about the length of time it's going to take before like video game assets, casuals are, really, are designing, yeah, games. are really out yeah. there in the way that uh, they are now and for movies and, and story IPs and stuff. I, I think I think maybe one hundred years is a ways off because just just in terms of how quickly things are developing now and how ubiquitous those assets are, you know, like epic. You can use their engine yeah. essentially for free, right? Like 
I think that, that as more and more people start to explore this sort of creation, this sort of development as an art form with the ease of access and with the, the, uh, you know, there's this whole argument floating around Twitter about, um, when the God new God of War Ragnarok trailer dropped, like, okay, Kratos and Atreus used the same animation in, in the new God of War to get into the boat as they did in God of War 2018. And oh my God, aren't these developers lazy? And it was like, you know how many assets are reused from game to game in the indie space? Like, do you know how often and ubiquitous people are choosing animations that are used? Like, you can find this in, in games over and over and over and over again. And as those things become more accessible, as those conversations become more... Um, uh, widely discussed and people realize like, oh, I don't have to build everything from scratch. I have this whole, you know, a metric ton of assets and, and uh, instruction available to me. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a, a, a sea turn in the way that games are developed in the next 20 to 25 years. You've even got Konami out there right now talking about giving indie developers a shot at, at franchises like Metal Gear, at franchises like Castlevania, you know, like, those things are, are coming to fruition, I think, faster than we we would think. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty it, cool. I, mm-hmm. I'm not aware of how often there is that overlap and sharing. I'm glad to hear it's more than I than I'm aware of. Like that that mm-hmm. encourages me as a as a fellow indie creator. So I like that. I think it's helpful that gaming has always been iteration driven and asset driven. Yeah. Um, whereas, like in music, if you try to do that it's called sampling. You have to do it carefully or you'll get mm-hmm. sued. Right. <laughs> um, video games has always been, well, the sequel is going to use these same assets, but with more, more shit added and more stuff <laughs> yeah. biffed up. Like that's the nature of gaming. I don't know why you would because it is iterative. It's in a computer environment. It's not like a shot where you're like, we filmed the specific configuration of the sun and clouds on this day that will never be replicated again. A video game's like, yeah, I can replicate that. When do you, how many do you need, boss? That's mm-hmm. the whole point. It's just a different medium. It's got mm-hmm. different ends and different outs. All right. I, I, sorry, I have, I have one uh, other thing, if you don't mind, Mike. I know you, I can see that you're eager to... Oh, that wasn't a wrap-up, okay. all right. It was a back on track, okay. all right. I was going to say, all right, is there anything else about... The Forgotten City yes, itself? Is that I what do. you have? Yeah, uh, I do. And that is, as I was reading the Wikipedia for this game in preparation for this podcast, I discovered that there, uh, that this tiny little dev team also had crunch work conditions mm-hmm. uh, of like over 80-hour work weeks for years to get this out. Um, I mention it not to shame them because like I'm, this is not the game I'm going to like pick on for that. Uh, these yeah, these guys. Yeah. Right? It's like, come on, no, like, let's try Cyberpunk out, or you know, Red Dead, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, uh, I just think it's interesting that even this tiny little game has this problem. Like, like, what is it about video game development that creates this sort of uh, environment where not only does this ha- does this like considered a part of the culture, but also that like apparently it's the only way to get this work done. You know what I mean? Like, why is that happening even on these tiny little indie games? Is that just uh, uh, a cry into the void, a moral outrage into the void? Look, I know it's it's a cliche thing to say this in the year of our Lord 2021, right. but it's, to me, still, whenever I play any game, it's a miracle that that game has been made by someone, Yeah, right? Like, sure. I think it, that game development is such a daunting thing and yeah i don't think that that kind of work escapes anybody like if you're 
if you're passionate about something, if you love making music or painting or whatever, like you dedicate your time to that thing. You pour your blood, sweat, and tears into making that thing as best as you can possibly make it and putting it out to people when it's ready. And if that means investing 80 hour work weeks on an indie team, like, yeah, it's really difficult. But at the end, like you've got something that has, you know, this, this mass appeal, this, (laughs) these accolades that are coming in for something that like, hopefully, yes, it sucks to work 80 hour work weeks for that long, but hopefully this small team of developers is looking at the things that have been said about the forgotten city. They're listening to this podcast and they're like, wow, these guys really took a lot away from the thing that I created. Like that's the most, that that's the best that you can hope for. You know, I agree. It's just a question of like, and yeah, I mean like, and uh, maybe I, so maybe I am standing on the wrong hill for this game, but like the question to me is like, sure. I hope they do get all those accolades. They deserve them. I hope those accolades weren't like, like, warm their hearts and their and their beds and like and their their stomachs with full meals and shit. I really do. Like they deserve that. And yet uh I I would say like maybe this is instructive that like the way video games are made is not being done in a way that's actually good for people's like right. working life. Like maybe there needs to be an, an adjustment in that process. That's just twelve-hour days, though. Eighty-hour work weeks, twelve-hour days. Shoots are regular. I'm just saying. Look at the film industry; it's exactly yeah, but the same. Do, but Shoots both, are but both of those industries are undergoing like major shifts and conversation oh, and around that. Right? Film like, should change too. Like, there's a lot of people lobbying for ten or eight-hour shoot There's days. a lot of camera yeah. camera uh, unions right now that are going on strike in the film industry, and you see yeah. a lot of developers like, um, oh shit, who was it? Just just recently, I know that Young Horses, the team behind Bug Snacks, moved to a four-day work week. And was it IDOS Montreal just this last week said that they're moving to a four-day work week as well? Like, I, you know, there there is a lot of conversation around the gaming space of like, how do we make this more constructive and less of a slog? Because when you go back in in game history, when you well, it's four-day work week, but it's twenty-hour days. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you just gotta you just gotta work your damn dick off. Yeah. But, uh, you know, when when you you know read a lot of stuff about retro game development when you listen to conversations from the guys the teams at nintendo on games like the original metroid and kid icarus and stuff they're talking about how they would work at the office until six o'clock in the morning and sleep for two hours under their desk and get up and do it again you know like and they did it at with a, a badge of courage or a badge of honor of like yeah we worked so freaking hard to make this and i think at a time that was that was the way that the industry worked. Um, but I do see a light at the end of the tunnel as this, similarly to the way that we talked about development um, tools being more ubiquitous. Also the conversation around those tools and how you actually make a game. Uh, those conversations are happening in more and more public spaces, more and more public forums. And I think that's the way that, you know, that's the way that you instigate a change for the better. Like you were talking about, Adam. That's great. I mean, like, uh, yeah, I just, I thought this was the right game to like point out that, holy shit, this game had that problem. Right. Uh, to, so that, Mm. because I, you know, I hear from fans and people in the chats when I stream and stuff, it's like, well, this game had crunch. And like the thought I've been thinking is like, which games don't have crunch? And it seems like none. And so I'm glad that we're starting like a, a humane conditions dialogue. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, I show a, I show a safety video to classes that I teach on uh, production management, and one of the things that they talk about in the safety video, which, by the way, showing a safety video, right? Uh, 
but one of the things they talk about is like, listen, when you're a guerrilla filmmaker, you have this mentality of like running out there and like getting a shot and like just stepping in front of the car, just get the shot, that kind of thing. And then it translates into these larger companies and they're still doing it. And then somebody gets hurt or killed. Mm-hmm. Right. And like that's and like they they emphasize like that's a sort of natural evolution of unsafe beliefs. Um, so I think there might be some unsafe beliefs in the video game industry. I'm glad to hear that there is a industry wide impetus to change that. Yeah. I mean, IDOS Montreal maybe isn't the most universally well-known studio, right. but when you've got a team a studio that's making the next AAA Marvel game. Right. That's like, hey, by the way, we're going to move to a four-day work week. That's that's something important. That's a major milestone, I think. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> anyway, Mike, I've that that's all I got. I got nothing else. All right. That's my all right that's wrapping up on it. <laughs> all right. Okay. It's very calming. All God. right. It's time to pass our last checkpoint. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 infinity qx80 join us march 20th live from the edge at hudson yards in new york city featuring an unforgettable performance by grammy and academy award-winning singer songwriter and composer john batiste the all-new infinity qx80 is unlike any luxury suv you've ever seen Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. I don't understand what the big fat ones are. You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean, you do? This is a show about women. Okay, so I just reapply my lip gloss after eating a delicious lunch. We are headed back now to European political systems class at Baruch College. Woo! Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. That's it. That's actually the name of the show. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. It's like reality TV on the radio. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. (laughs) Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Bruce Bozzi. On the last season of Table for Two, we had some good times at the table enjoying lunch with some of the best guests you could possibly ask for. People like George Clooney, Julia Roberts, Scarlett Johansson, and the beautiful Sarah Jessica Parker, to name a few. Table for Two is a bit different from other interview shows. We sit down at a great restaurant for a meal, maybe a glass of rosé, and the stories start flowing. It is intimate, revealing, and often hilarious. We're back for a second season, and the guests are going to be just as incredible. We'll be breaking bread with Colin Jost, Michael Mann, Divine Joy Randolph, just to name a few. 
And this time around, we're going even deeper and we'll have something new for you each week. We'll talk about the big breaks, heartbreaks, and of course, food. So I hope you'll pull up a chair and join us for the latest season. Listen and subscribe to Table for Two on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Which means we burned Sentius alive for the final time. And uh, it's time to keep her delete. I have a sneaking suspicion that I know how we're going to go with this one, but uh, Mr. Oh, no, Adam Don't make me go first. Don't, this... make, don't make me go first. No, no, no? I want to go third this time. Mr. Zachary Ryan, are you keeping or deleting this from a celestial hard drive of good games? Ooh, big time keeping it. Like, uh, keeping it in the best way, keeping it in the highest regard. Um, th- this is a game that I think will most likely end up on a syllabus in game and narrative design for aspiring game designers to look at for for generations to come so yes please keep this game yeah and i like games that are spreadsheet based and this is one of the ultimate iterations of that so i'm definitely keeping it as well adam's more torn yeah did we keep a telltale game have we kept a telltale game yet i definitely would have kept a walking dead i think that's right uh i also might keep that the fables one uh okay i'm gonna keep this i agree because wolf among us. yeah and this is one of the rare times i think the game itself is also very good but the story of how the game is made is really important for understanding video games i think um so -hmm. for that reason i definitely think it should be kept yeah nice a three keep the rare three keep triple a triple keep awesome thanks for talking forgotten city y'all Thanks for having me. We love having yeah. you. Uh, Zach, Zach, where can people, people find more of you on the um, internet? You can find me on Twitter at ZacharyasD, um, where I tweet game recommendations and you know a lot of other dumb <laughs> shit. Basically, um, trend set. That's yeah. right. Where yeah. he um, determines what's going to be on this podcast in a month or two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I also stream on Twitch. Uh, Tuesday and Thursday evenings and Saturday mornings. Uh, I just finished up a run through Metroid Fusion, but I've got some cool stuff coming up in the next couple of months, including um, if I can figure out how to get my GameCube hooked up to my PC. I've got a bunch of like weirdo rare GameCube games that I want to I want to try out with an audience. So um, yeah, check me out there. What's when nice. is Nintendo going to add that library to its online library? I mean, I know it's adding Nintendo 64. Well, I mean, as a as a GameCube collector, I kind of hope that they don't I see. because I feel like that would like really lower the ceiling on the value sure. of the games that I collect. Sure. But, yeah, I'll never forget those little mini discs. It was like, man, nobody yeah. but Nintendo would go in on this, and they did. It was great. Well, it was an anti piracy yeah, thing, yeah, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, love it. Mm-hmm. Classic. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and again, as always, if we find you pirating episodes of this podcast, we will find you. <laughs> I, I think that's all I got. Work complete. Adam, say goodnight. Night, Mike. Night. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? 
Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late-night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.